Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Before we start this episode, we want to acknowledge something important. This episode deals with a lot of questions about land ownership. The day after this originally aired, we got a message from one of our listeners. Hello, my name is Christina. I'm listening in Oklahoma. I'm getting in touch because as an Indigenous person and as a history teacher, I can get a little frustrated when stories are told about settlers' communities in the United States without an acknowledgement of whose land they reside on and occupy. Especially after the last couple of episodes, when I heard several people say things like, oh, that's FLDS land or that's our land, I felt like I had to say something because while they may hold ownership of it in the legal context that exists today, it's still the homeland and territory of various tribes, specifically the Ute, Paiute, and Pueblo and Diné people in the land near Short Creek. The ancestors of those tribes have been in that area for thousands and thousands of years. They had and still have intimate knowledge of that land and relationships with the land that is not often understood by those outside of the tribal communities. These are the descendants of the people who knew how to live in a hard land. They knew how to subsist and survive in that area. They developed trade networks and innovated and adapted to the land. So when we discuss and tell the story of any community in the United States, I think it is so important to also talk about and to the people who were dispossessed in order for that community to exist. Thank you. Bye. Christina is absolutely right. And we need to acknowledge that Short Creek is on native land, specifically of the Southern Paiute and Pueblo people. We're really grateful to Christina for taking the time to reach out about this. Also, a warning that this episode discusses police brutality. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Let's raise old glory before we go on with the program. When early fundamentalists founded Short Creek, they were exercising the very American right to freedom of religion. And as pioneers building a refuge from the world, they deeply valued their independence. So it's not surprising that patriotism was important in Short Creek. Uncle Rudin's boys, today they march with the American flag, a reminder that we must maintain our father's values. For years, Short Creek celebrated 4th of July with a parade, fireworks, and a big party in the park, complete with rehearsed musical numbers.
But when Warren Jeffs came to power in 2002, he canceled all public holidays, including the 4th of July. He replaced fireworks and parades with demands for obedience and lots of rules. What do you think those rules are about? Control. It's obvious control. Just pray and obey. Keep sweet no matter what. This is George and Miriam Jessup. We met them last time. They left the church in 2012. At that time, Warren was in a Texas prison. He and his brother Lyle were commanding the FLDS to give everything they had, from tampons to Q-tips, to the storehouse. And they were using the new United Order to split up families. George and Miriam refused to go along with this, but they couldn't leave Short Creek. We tried to move away several times. Our finances were just horrible. Right. We couldn't move away. I mean, you know, with 12 children and life was impossible at that moment. Those years were probably some of the darkest years we went through. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we were so lonely. George and Miriam were stuck, and they were outcasts. So they had a choice. They could continue to live in a community they no longer recognized, or they could try to bring back a little of the old Short Creek, the one they'd loved as kids. We completely felt like that, that we were going to go to hell, but we were going to have fun going there, if that makes sense. <laughs> it was sure going to be a lot funner than what they had in store for us. If we don't make some changes ourselves, it's not going to change. That's how we felt. And, you know, the big thing that really stuck out in our minds was the 4th of July. I mean, when we were kids, it was just so much fun. In July of 2015, George and Miriam gathered some donations from other ex-believers who still lived in the community. Their plan was to start small. Let's just do a breakfast. You know, we could find somebody to do pancakes or something. And you and I could do Dutch oven potatoes. I had somebody come up to me and they says, you are one gutsy bastard to be doing this. And I didn't see it that way. We just felt like that. You know, if we can't leave, then we want this town to be a place where our kids want to stay. Throwing a 4th of July party might not sound like a gutsy move. But at that moment, it was. The church had kicked thousands of people out of the community and made it clear that these apostates weren't welcome in Short Creek. It was basically just like a great big family reunion. It really was. People were so starved and so hungry for the association of people they once knew that, I mean, they, they was there all day just talking. Food wasn't even the interest. George and Miriam expected that a few hundred people would come. In the end, they estimated that more than 3,000 lined up for breakfast. There was a lot of emotions that were released. The amount of healing and the amount of camaraderie that went on, I can still feel that day. It was crazy seeing people from Canada on Salt Lake, Centennial Park, Colorado. They were just everywhere. People that had moved away years ago, coming back for the first time since they've gone. And, oh, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain. For ex-believers, the gathering was about more than the story of America's independence. It represented their own independence from Warren Jeffs and the FLDS Church. I chose the theme, Let Freedom Ring, because I felt like that people needed to hear that. 
They needed to let it ring. They needed to know that it was okay to be free. Miriam and George were sending a message. Even if FLDS still controlled the community, the land, and the police, they didn't control the people. But some FLDS had a message of their own to send. There had been rumors about George and Miriam's party. So a few days before, some FLDS gathered at the church meeting house just down the street from the park and started building a wall. Yeah, that wall went up around the meeting house. I don't know how tall it was, 10, 12 feet high. And were they building that in reaction to the 4th of July? Yeah, they were telling their people that uh, all these wicked people are coming in and we've got to protect ourselves and all this. Some FLDS worked around the clock, piling cinder blocks to build a giant wall, a 10-foot concrete symbol of the deep divide in Short Creek. On one side were believers who wanted this place to be what it was before, God's land. And on the other side were ex-believers who wanted a place in the community they had helped build too. The division was about more than the 4th of July party though. It was part of the fight over who gets to call Short Creek home. The FLDS are the last ones that are safe here. I will arrest you if you don't get back off the call. There is no law out here. Everybody is fighting over the land. This land is sacred. Whose land is it? I mean, this land does not care about us, I promise. I'm Sarah Ventry. I'm Ash Sanders. From Witness Docs and Critical Frequency, this is Unfinished Short Creek. Episode 7. This land is our land. So tell me about the community. What's it like for someone who's never, like someone who's never been here before, how would you explain the community? So there's a past and a, and a present. Uh, presently, the community is dead. It's depressing, and it's very hard to live here. Everything that we had has been taken away in some way or another. Norma Richter has lived in Short Creek her whole life but she wasn't at the 4th of July celebration in 2015. For her, there was nothing to celebrate. George and Miriam's party was just another example of how her community was changing for the worse. And so we live by the park, and boy, what do we see? People half-dressed or less. I'm glad for the tall fences. That's just one reason. And we keep our fence tall, and, and they're not taking it down. Unless they don't want us here. Before Warren Jess went to prison, Shore Creek was almost 100% FLDS. Today, it's hard to say, but some estimate the FLDS are now only between 10 and 20% of the population. Think about that for a minute. In just 10 years, FLDS went from being the only people in town to the minority. We never feel welcome in this community. They've been determined to get rid of us. When Norma says they, she's talking about ex-believers, who she thinks discriminate against those who are still FLDS. But she's also referring to a specific organization that she thinks is responsible for driving FLDS out of Shore Creek. Ironically, it was originally created by the church. The FLDS Church set up its United Effort Plan back in the 1940s to allow followers to share assets. Under the UEP, FLDS faithful would consecrate all they had to the church, and then it was doled out. The United Effort Plan, 
or UEP. This is the land trust we heard about earlier in the season. The UEP was established as a way for church members to communally own the land and houses in Short Creek. FLDS members could build a house on UEP land and aside from taxes, wouldn't pay anything to live there. There was no lease or mortgage. But when Warren Jeffs came to power in 2002, he started misusing the trust and treating it like a personal bank account. Between the land, houses, and businesses, at one time it was estimated that the UEP controlled more than $100 million in assets. Warren sold UEP land and then used that money to build up properties outside of Short Creek for his elite followers. He bought fancy cars and built himself a big house. And when former church members filed lawsuits against him, he refused to show up in court, which meant the people filing the lawsuits won by default. The UEP trust wound up millions of dollars in debt. Warren was also laundering money to the city's shared water utility. By 2005, it was clear that the UEP was no longer serving the people it was designed to serve. So the state of Utah stepped in. A judge removed Warren Jeffs and other church leaders from the UEP trust and assigned a non-FLDS accountant to oversee it. After six decades of church control, the UEP was in the hands of outsiders. In order to cover the cost of running the trust, this new version of the UEP started charging occupants $100 a month to stay in their homes. The trust also required them to sign a basic housing agreement with the UEP. It's a real bad situation for somebody who's FLDS. It was definitely not something that they felt like was righteous. Shirley Draper remembers this time when the state stepped in. Eventually, you know, people were told to not cooperate with the trust at all. They felt like that Satan was doing his mighty work. And so then, you know, the FLDS weren't signing the occupancy agreement. They weren't paying the $100 a month that the judge ordered. And, and so it came to be a real philosophical difference. At the same time, ex-believers were moving back to Short Creek and needed homes. They were willing to sign the agreements and pay the fees. So now... The trust had to decide who got to live in UEP houses. For nearly 100 years, it has been their home. But now many FLDS families being evicted from Colorado City, Arizona and Hilldale, Utah. Between 2005 and 2015, the UEP trust ordered evictions on up to 200 homes. Because of large family sizes, this meant that as many as two or 3,000 FLDS could have been displaced. Some are saying these evictions are a form of genocide against the FLDS people, while others believe it is a self-inflicted war. I feel like that this land is, is blessed. This land is sacred. This is Joseph Allred. He's the mayor of Colorado City, and he's FLDS. They address a letter to all occupants of these premises that uh, you have 30 days to either enter into an an occupancy agreement or or vacate the premises, then you're faced with a tough choice. For Joseph, the new UEP wasn't asking him to sign a simple housing agreement. 
They were asking him to choose between his home and his faith. Joseph says he was eventually evicted. He told us the UEP never gave him a reason, but he also said he wasn't paying the $100 a month fee and he hadn't signed an occupancy agreement for the house he was in at the time. So what, what's to become of my consecration? The assets are being distributed to apostates of the FLDS faith, and many of them are being distributed to the Gentiles that have had nothing to do with the FLDS faith ever. And the home that I built, there's somebody living there that's an apostate. Do you remember what that felt like? Well, let me put it this way. When you're down and you've been punched 20 times, what does that 21st punch feel like? It's just another one. In Short Creek, evictions felt personal. Sometimes it was an ex-believer posting an eviction notice on FLDS doors. And a lot of times, neighbors faced off against neighbors. Is there a place in the community for non-FLDS church members, and maybe more specifically even for apostates? Oh, I think there's a place for everybody, sure. I think it's fair to say that people have a right to live their life the way they choose. People have a right to go get a P.O. box or go to the store. Sure, that's, that is absolutely no problem. Just don't steal somebody else's land, please. In 2015, the court decided it was time for the community to be in charge of the houses in the UEP Trust. So it created a board made up of people from Short Creek. But FLDS still refused to participate. For them, the only acceptable UEP was the one run by the church. In the end, the board was made up entirely of non-believers. Every single one of them are apostates of the FLDS faith. And it's their stated goal to break up the trust and distribute the property. Shirley Draper was one of those ex-FLDS members appointed to the board. I still have nightmares about that. (laughs) Remember, Shirley left Short Creek after Warren Jeffs shut down the public schools and publicly excommunicated nearly two dozen church members. I had left Colorado City and I never, ever wanted to go back there. I literally never wanted to visit that place again. Shirley moved to nearby St. George, but she still found herself involved with Short Creek. She worked with a nonprofit that offered support to people from the community. It was clear that she still cared about her home, about her people. So when the UEP needed new board members, Shirley's name was at the top of the list. The judge who was in charge of the trust called me. And I said, well, can I think about it? And she said, no. I'm, I'm retiring this weekend. <sighs> and she said, okay. Well, I'll sign this order, and um, now you have my number. So if you have any questions, call me. And she hung up. And so I honestly felt like I had been sentenced to be on that board. I was terrified to be on that board. I was terrified to go back to the community. 
And this was going to require me getting back in there and getting my feet muddy and getting back into all of the politics and everything that I had so carefully picked off of me. You know, <laughs> I, I tried to cleanse myself and make a new life. And, and here I was going to be right back in the middle of that. And I just sat there and thought, this is going the opposite direction of what I want. So I went to my first board meeting and I told the board, I'm not going to be on this board. I think this is messed up. I don't like what's going on here. <laughs> and they said, well, good, neither do we. Help us fix it. And so I thought, okay, all right, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll stick around just long enough to fix it. <laughs> Shirley did stick around. She's actually still on the UEP board today. She understands why FLDS don't want to work with the trust. Okay, I understand that you wish Warren Jeffs was running this trust, but he's not. And I absolutely value your opinions and your right to believe your religion. And what can I do to help you to stay in this house? Right? As long as you've got your occupancy agreement signed and you're paying your taxes. That's not against your religion to pay your taxes. Everybody has paid their taxes all these years. As messy as it is, Shirley thinks there is a way for FLDS and ex-believers to coexist in town, to work with the new UEP and share the land. But lots of FLDS still don't agree. No, not in this community. This is Norma Richter again. That's the big thing. Oh, let's just get along. Really? Let's get along. Let's see. You took all our businesses. They did. They shoved us out. They've taken most of our schools and said we don't need schools, and then accuse us of not teaching our children. This gets me kind of riled, sorry. (laughs) And then I will drive past a place that's been evicted, and I was there on the eviction and watched them knocking down the big cement walls around our storehouse and stuff like that. And it's just like taking a dagger and stabbing it in and turning it. It is so painful. And it's place after place. It got to where, where do I drive in this community? I'm traumatized everywhere I go. My children are. They don't want us here. They don't want us to exist. They don't want us to be a religion. They don't want us to be a culture. They don't want us to be anything. Is there any solution that would be amenable to you? Like, what do you think should be happening? I think the states of Utah and Arizona should take full responsibility, financial responsibility, and they should give back everything and get them out of here and give it back to my people. They really should. I don't know if they will, but that's what they should. It is their problem. They did poke their finger in that pie and start mucking around. No, there was no problem with how the UEP was being run. We were fine for many, many years. If we want our leadership to run it, our leadership runs it. So we need to take a minute and talk about what Norma is saying. She's hurt and angry. And that makes sense. People she loves have been evicted from their homes. And that is a terrible thing for anyone to experience. Norma's solution is to go back to how things used to be when the church controlled the land and the community. But for lots of people in Shore Creek, the old way didn't work at all. In fact, it was devastating. Warren Jeffs used the UEP as leverage to get people to do what he wanted. He controlled their land and their homes. So if anyone dared to disagree with him, 
he could kick them out of their houses they built and leave them with nothing. So now, ex-believers are coming back to reclaim homes they were kicked out of by Warren Jeffs and the old UEP. And the faithful FLDS feel they're being wrongfully evicted by the new UEP. Coming up, the battle over Short Creek intensifies. You didn't dare call the cops because it was still under FLDS control when I moved out here. Jenny, don't get Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big money at You know, right after I left, um, I felt so worthless. Because life's hard, right? I didn't, I didn't have an education. So everything that I thought bad was happening was because I left. We've met Terrell Musser before. He was our tour guide around town. Terrell grew up in Short Creek with 48 brothers and sisters and lived in a house he helped build. Terrell left Short Creek in 2002 after Warren Jeffs came to power. And he lost everything. His family shunned him. His community turned its back on him. For almost 15 years, Terrell lived outside Short Creek, stringing together construction jobs to make a living. He moved to northern Utah, where he met someone and got married. Then he moved to St. George, just a 45-minute drive from where he grew up. But for Terrell, it couldn't have been farther from home. I remember always, when my little brothers and sisters got brought home, how joy it was. When me and my wife had our first kid, there was nobody there. My boss from my work came. That's our family. Terrell was suffering from a rare genetic disease called Milroy's, which caused his body to swell up painfully. Terrell managed to work enough construction jobs to get by. But then he got another diagnosis, cancer. Just like that, he was too sick to work, and he and his wife had to move into someone's garage. It's winter. We've been in the garage for five months, and uh, it's been a miserable summer. I don't know if you know how hot St. George is. Yeah. 
you know, just on my deathbed. She was pregnant. She couldn't move. I'm going through chemo. Um, don't have any money. Um, we're just living off the kindness of people. It's the most helpless feeling in the world after 15 years of struggling to finally get successful and then have a sickness wipe me clear out again. It, it was really hard on me. Terrell's doctor told him he had six months to live. Terrell had no idea how he and his family were going to find the money to survive. So when he heard that the UEP had homes available in Shore Creek, it felt like a godsend. After years of being exiled, Terrell finally had the chance to go home. And we came out here one day and this house was empty. The house I grew up was empty. And I just like, you know, that's how I feel. I just feel so empty, just lost in the world. And I'm like, I'm going to file. So I went up the trust and I filed the paperwork for the house. And it was a long process. It was about six months to do all the paperwork to where we were moving in. And so December 8th. This was in December of 2014. I was 90 pounds when I first came out here, you know, and I couldn't walk and my spine had been so damaged and the cancer was so extreme and I just came home to die, to be honest. Um, but no, this, this area, when you, when you grow up here, you long for these red mountains. Like, there's days I'll just break down in tears of just like, I'm home. I'm home. My, my kids are home. Like, it's still so surreal to me because I was told I would never get to come home. When Terrell moved back into his childhood home, he found that things mostly looked the same as they did when he was a kid. The bedrooms, the kitchen, the bathrooms. This in here was our prayer room, and Dad had his chair right here, and he'd read. And but he did find some relics of the Warren Jeffs era. When I first moved in here, I had to go through my whole house and pull out bugs and recorders and because they'd bug people's houses. I mean, there was cameras in this house. Who's watching or listening? They call them the church security, would uh-huh. be listening, and it was just sick, sick men. I mean, just men that had no authority or no right. But yeah, let's go upstairs. Terrell took us on a tour of his house and showed us his childhood bedroom, the one he shared with eight brothers, where he slept on the top bunk just a foot away from the ceiling. Then you had one dresser that everybody shared, but everybody had their own drawer. And inside the closet of this room, mounted on a wall, was some sort of audio box that wasn't there when he grew up. Warren's Jeff's security and church guys, they put speakers in every house. So this is all PA system, then they hooked it right into the phone lines. When church would start, they played church right over the speakers. So every house could have Warren, basically listen to Warren when he's talking. Or if they wanted to call directly here without being traced. You know, it's just like an intercom system. You could pick up here and pick up up in Hill. Just outside this closet, only a few feet away from the PA system, was a kid's desk. And the shelf lined end to end with books. Whose room is this now? So this is my oldest daughter. She's 14. She's a big fantasy book. She likes to read, like, uh, the Twilight series, the Harry Potters. When I was growing up, these books, absolutely not. Um... We grew up reading, but not stuff like this. But to see my daughter in my room, getting to have her computer and her books, and she's so creative, she's a DJ, she makes her own music. She's just incredible because we can follow the passion and feed it. And having my kid in this room, 
no better feeling. I mean, I won. I mean, if I die today, I won. Back in December 2014, when he first moved back into this house, Terrell was able to remove the relics of Warren Jeffs from inside. But when he went outside, it was clear that a lot of things in Short Creek were still beyond his control. I was clear surrounded. Everybody around me was FLDS. I was the only non when I first moved here. And it was the most craziest thing when I showed up out here. It was like the wild, wild west. I mean, you didn't, you didn't dare call the cops or the ambulances or anything because it was still under FLDS control when I moved out here. Terrell was an ex-believer, an apostate living in what was still mostly a church town. Sure, the UEP didn't answer to the church anymore, but all the elected officials, the people who ran the utility company, the ambulance drivers and EMTs, the police, they all still answered to their imprisoned prophet which meant church members were free to discriminate against ex-believers like Terrell, without consequence. Some FLDS slashed ex-believers' tires. Others dropped dead animals on their porches and tried to prevent ex-believers from moving into UEP homes. You had people that were going up to the trust, getting homes, deeds to their homes, going to their houses, being arrested. The local cops that were FLDS or Warrens felt like, hey, this is our land. It's our religious land. We're just going to arrest you. I didn't call the cops when I first moved out here. I called Washington County. I called Mojave County. I didn't call the locals. I mean, that was just, you were screwed if you called those guys. I didn't want to come out here and have my kids deal with the same crap I did. I'm like, nope, uh uh-uh. If I'm moving home, (laughs) I'm going to be part of something different. And so we put together a rally to protest the police This was in October of 2015, just a few months after George and Miriam's 4th of July party, which Terrell helped organize. And Terrell says the protest was the first ever in Shore Creek's history. I probably only had eight to ten locals, or the only people that dared showed up, but we had 100 people show up from, had a bunch of friends from outside show up, and, but it sure got the talk going. And what were you calling for in the rally? Just equality. We just wanted fair treatment. That's all we were asking for, is to be treated the same. Remember, Terrell was dealing with two serious illnesses, so it was really important to have reliable emergency services. I wanted to call the ambulance and know that I don't need to worry about anything other than them taking care of me. But when I first came out here, if I called the ambulance, I wouldn't be treated right. And that was the reality of where we lived at the time. Can you describe what that is? It's a kind of a spy pinhole camera. This one's a high definition. It's uh, 1080. This is Andrew Chatwin. It's night vision. It's um, motion sensor, all that kind of stuff. So The equipment Andrew is showing us looks like something out of a James Bond movie. He has pocket cameras, spy pens, secret recorders. So you put it in your pocket and you just push record and you're recording whatever goes on. Andrew left the FLDS under Rulin Jeffs because he didn't like the way things were going. But when he heard about how the church was treating ex-believers, he came back and started documenting the discrimination. We had to protect ourselves from the police department because they were constantly lying and twisting the, the truth in their paperwork. 
And as you can imagine, the FLDS church didn't take too kindly to him filming them. So we had to have hidden stuff, because if you had a big camera in front of them, they behave a lot different than if they don't think you have a camera on them. You can hardly even see that. Andrew knew the church would never stop what they were doing unless they were forced to. And he thought that if he collected enough hard evidence of what was happening to ex-believers, he could get help, or at least get the world's attention. I became the minute man in the community for videoing and not being afraid of the police department to record what they're doing. Andrew had over a hundred hours of recordings. So one day we spent an entire afternoon at his house watching some of them. He showed us footage of FLDS refusing to seat ex-believers at restaurants. And footage that shows a building that some ex-believers were turning into a community library. So we're walking up in a field. The library. There's a barrel and there's a big pile of charred stuff that's still, most of it's ash, but it's still smoking. The UEP Trust had already signed a lease agreement. And these guys just went in, took everything out, they burned. Science, science, science book. Biology. Looks like a biology book. Yeah. yeah. So he's holding up a charred um, piece of a biology textbook that he found on the ground. And then he showed us an agonizing video of a mother who had left the church. Okay, that's her. FLDS leaders had reassigned her kids to a new family, and she was trying to get those kids back. So this is meeting her lawyer at the house that she believes her children are being held at. Officer Rowdy, she has uh, three minor children she wants back. Here's the mother's lawyer talking to the marshal, who's a church member. We request your assistance in going to the door. So you gave custody away. Now, what the church did is they told everybody in the community that were FLDS that your children do not belong to you. And so before a notary, every parent signed their children over to the church with a notary signing at the bottom. Who said that? Lyle Jeffs and Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs had all the parents sign their kids over to the church. And so when they kicked out, they had this little piece of paper that she signed under duress as a mother, you know, trying to maintain her position in the community. But the marshals have used that church piece of paper repeatedly in trying to stop these parents from getting their children. Nobody has a right to have her children. She has a right to get her children. They've now closed the gate. We want you to access this property so she you can probably get her children. want a million dollars, but... No, I didn't she, ask for that. Okay, does she have custody? She, she is the mother of the her, children. So, she's, so you don't know. Is your camera visible or is it in... This one's visible. We wanted everybody to know we're documented. Uh, I sir, never went. Help her get her children. Sir, does she have custody? She's going to get custody today okay, with so your she assistance. She doesn't have custody. She I absolutely do have custody. She's the mother. Okay, I'll look into So that. follow the law. I'll get you a copy of this And then he showed us a video of one of the most contentious divisions that exists in Short Creek. A fight over land and homes. And just a warning... Some of this tape is very disturbing. And so this is the local marshals doing everything they can to maintain their foot onto this on this lot, okay. keeping an apostate out, out of the community. I told you what our city attorney said. I've never met an officer or been in any city that can get a hold of their city attorney 
What you're hearing are two ex-believers trying to move into a home that the UEP gave them. But when they get there, the police won't let them onto the property. Hey, Genevieve, don't go on the property. Jenny, don't get arrested. Jenny approaches her house. Jenny! But the police come after her. Go off, then. So she climbs on top of a truck. You are not impounding our truck. I will arrest you if you don't get back off the property. Listen, you haven't even given us, you haven't even given us 24 hours to get the stuff off. You can't arrest me. The police pull her off the truck and push her face into the dirt into a pile of sharp burrs. She was asked to leave this property for five minutes. You be gentle with her. Make fucking sure you're gentle with her. You do not need to shut her in the stickers. Is that camera on? Video record this. He's recording, right? Yeah, it's recording. Well, if she resists, you'll not interfere. There's some baby in the background crying for her mom. People have told us about these types of fights for years. But watching it all go down, hearing this child scream for its mother, it hits you on a whole different level. It makes sense why Andrew has spent so many hours documenting it and why Terrell has organized rallies to protest it. Because what's happening is so unbearable. And they just want it to change. But many FLDS don't want things to change, and they feel like they're the ones being wronged. They're the ones being evicted from their homes, and their families are the ones being scattered. For them, the community no longer feels like the safe haven it once was. Sometimes, Short Creek feels like a rigged game where everyone is calling foul, and the search for justice can seem impossible. Next time on Unfinished Short Creek. There was people that were leaving dead animals on my porch. I am vilified because I'm bringing religion into my public duties. And that, that's discrimination. What does justice look like when everyone has been harmed? I mean, the Department of Justice had to come in here. The federal courts had to come in here and straighten it all out. Today, they don't like the FLDS religion. Tomorrow, it might be your religion or my religion. Depends who's in charge of the government. How far does the freedom of religion go? The federal government steps in to sort that out next time. Unfinished Short Creek is a co-production of Witness Docs and Critical Frequency. Our team includes Amy Westervelt, John Delore, Abigail Keel, Sarah Ventry, Peter Clowney, and me, Ash Sanders. Chris Bannon is Stitcher's Chief Content Officer. Our fact checker on this episode is Amy Westervelt. Our production assistant in Short Creek is Araya Hammond. Our original score was composed and performed by Allison Leighton Brown, with Ollie Samland on pedal steel and Dan Bradigan on trumpet. Thanks to NPR member station KJZZ. 
This episode includes tape from interviews I did while working there in 2016 and 2017. And of course, we are so grateful to all the people of Short Creek who shared their stories with us. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 